In a world where uncertainty reigns supreme, where shadows of chaos dance at every turn, one truth emerges unyielding. Preparation is not a luxury, but a lifeline. Behold the Wellness Company, a beacon of readiness amidst the tempestuous seas of fate. Envision a sanctuary of tranquility, where the tumult of unforeseen medical crises finds no purchase. The Wellness Company's Medical Emergency Kit stands as a bastion of assurance, a fortress of resilience against the unseen foes of health. Within its sacred confines lie the tools of salvation. Ivermectin, to ward off the insidious whispers of disease. Emergency antibiotics, to quell the raging storms of infection. Antivirals, to vanquish the relentless tides of contagion and more. The Wellness Company Medical Emergency Kit is not merely a collection of supplies. It is the embodiment of preparedness itself. Crafted by the hands of esteemed healers led by luminaries such as Dr. Peter McCullough, Dr. James Thorpe, Dr. Harvey Risch, and Dr. Drew Pinsky, this kit stands as the pinnacle of safety, the zenith of prevention. These truth-seeking doctors have forged a testament to vigilance, a testament to the unwavering pursuit of well-being. Embrace the certainty that comes from being armed against adversity. Embrace the Wellness Company, for in its embrace lies the promise of resilience, the promise of a brighter tomorrow amidst the chaos of today. Don't wait for the next crisis to strike. Visit twc.health forward slash strange planet and use promo code strange planet for an exclusive 10% discount. Prepare today and rest easy tomorrow. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. On this episode, were there two Lee Harvey Oswalds? Uh, Lee Oswald was five foot eleven. Harvey was five foot nine. Lee was one hundred and sixty-five pounds. Uh, Harvey was one hundred and thirty-two. Lee had hazel eyes. Harvey had blue eyes. All of that is uh, on the autopsy record. Um, Lee Oswald had a mastoidectomy. A scar and a hole in his skull on the left side, and Harvey did not. It just goes on and on and on and on. It can't be the same person. It's impossible. This podcast is brought to you by Paranormal Contractors. If you have unwanted paranormal activity in your home or business, this is no time to be dealing with amateurs. You need to bring in the professionals. Paranormal Contractors is a division of crime and trauma scene cleaners. They utilize the latest scientific technology to investigate, authenticate, and remediate your ghost or demon problem. Call them at this new number, 631-552-5835. 631-552-5835. That's 631-552-5835. Email paranormalcontractors at gmail.com and tell them Richard sent you. Check out their YouTube channel, Paranormal Contractors, for things that go bump in the night. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. Pursuing the truth wherever it leads. Exposing evil and corruption and the secret machinations of powerful elites. Revealing the high strangeness beneath the surface of our supposed reality. Coming to you from his studio beneath the stairs, here's Richard Serrett. Welcome to your Friday. Author, playwright, researcher George Schwimmer is standing by with a truly remarkable story relating to the assassination of John F. Kennedy. And today is, of course, the 56th anniversary. Schwimmer's book, Doppelganger, The Legend of Lee Harvey Oswald, lays out Schwimmer's theory that there were two Lee Harvey Oswalds, two at the Texas School Book Depository on November 22, 1963. One was an assassin on the sixth floor. The other was a patsy outside seeing the murder. We'll get to that conversation in just a moment. Now, because it's Friday, Christian D. Cadieux of Paranormal Contractors will also be dropping by. Now, I'll be sitting in for George Norrie on Coast to Coast AM next Friday. That's November the 29th, and I hope you can listen. Just go to coasttocoastam.com for more information and to find an affiliate station near you that carries the program. 
You are about to hear something truly amazing, almost unbelievable. And if true, it changes everything we think we know about the murder of the 35th president of the United States. And it changes everything about what we think we know about the supposed gunman, Lee Harvey Oswald. Is it possible the biographies of two separate individuals were merged to arrive at the classic legend of Lee Harvey Oswald. One was a Russian-speaking youth, possibly the child of Hungarian parents who preferred to be called Harvey. The other was a taller but similar-looking boy with a southern U.S. accent, born as Lee Harvey Oswald, who preferred to be called Lee. Both youths then became entangled at an early age in an American intelligence operation designed to give a U.S. identity to a Russian-speaking child. It was Harvey who traveled to Russia and was shot dead by Jack Ruby. It was Lee who framed Harvey for the assassination of JFK. And the operation began with both Harvey and Lee were children, but it probably did not become entangled in the plot to assassinate President Kennedy until the spring and summer of 1963. Hold on to your hats, folks. Here we go. George Schwimmer, PhD, was a theater director for 30 years as well as teaching theater at two colleges and universities. He later studied film at UCLA Extension and was vice president of development for a Los Angeles TV film producer. He currently writes books, plays, and screenplays. George Schwimmer, welcome to Conspiracy Unlimited. How are you? Good. Doppelganger, the legend of Lee Harvey Oswald. How much of this is fiction or your imagination, and how much of this do you really believe to be true? The book is 99% fact. 99% fact. And when did, right. you, when did you start researching this, and what were your sources? How did you determine that Lee Harvey Oswald was, well, there were two of them. I started in uh, the fall of 2009, and I wasn't, uh, uh, I wasn't planning to write a book. I wasn't planning to do any extensive research. Uh, I was working on a screenplay where I mentioned Oswald, and I thought, well, I ought to go and read a couple of books because I haven't read anything about him in 30 years at least. Uh, in fact, I think the only book I ever read was uh, uh, Six Seconds uh, in Dallas. That was years ago. And uh, I read the first book. I'm not sure which it was. It may have been Crossfire by uh, Jim Mars. And when I finished it, uh, I was disturbed because uh, the information on Oswald was confusing and uh, I couldn't really make sense of it, which uh, I later learned a great many researchers when they first started out uh, had the same reaction. So I read another book, and then I read another book, and then I read another book, and uh, the confusion just continued. And I thought, well, okay, I I've got to figure out what's, uh, what's going on here, and that's, that's how I got uh, started doing the research. So talk to me about the young Lee Harvey Oswald uh, and his mother, Marguerite, uh, and then how Lee ended up living for a short time with his aunt and his uncle and his cousin. Okay. As, as well as I can uh, determine, I got uh, a lot of this information uh, from uh, um, John Armstrong's book, uh, Harvey and Lee, uh, about the young uh, uh, Lee Oswald. Well, apparently there was a real person, uh, Lee Harvey Oswald, who was born October 19, 1939. And his uh, mother uh, had uh, been married uh, before to a man named uh, uh, John Pick. And then uh, uh, Oswald's uh, father died a couple months before uh, he was born. And so she had a very hard time uh, with uh, making a living and uh, trying to uh, raise him. And... Uh, there, there's, uh, there's, there's not a whole lot of information about uh, when, when he was very young. The story, as far as I'm concerned, starts in 1952 when uh, Oswald and his mother were uh, living in uh, Fort Worth, and she apparently decided on the spur of the moment to come to New York where her oldest son, John Pick, was uh, 
uh, in the Navy at the time, and uh, they uh, went up there and uh, stayed with him, and apparently they didn't have a very good uh, relationship with each other, so she moved out, and uh, I believe she went uh, to live in the Bronx uh, for the next year and a half. Now, the information that caught my attention, which uh, the uh, Warren Commission overlooked, was that uh, the psychiatrist who uh, saw the fake Lee Lee Harvey Oswald, I'll I'll call him Harvey from now on, uh, Harvey Oswald said he was four foot six, but the records of the New York City schools uh, said he was, uh, I believe it was uh, five foot two, and that he weighed 134 pounds. And uh, when I went to check on uh, how much a, a child uh, who was uh, four foot six should weigh, uh, the chart said he should weigh about 70 to 75 pounds. So there was a discrepancy uh, in in the, uh, the the weights there. And uh, then the, the, these kinds of things just continued. Right. And uh, what, what most people, uh, more, most researchers immediately notice is that uh, uh, so-called uh, Lee Harvey Oswald would be in two places at the same time. And this happened over and over and over again, uh, mainly uh, starting the last uh, uh, about three months of his life, which in, its, in and of itself is suspicious to me. Uh, because prior to that, uh, nothing like that had uh, happened. And then all of a sudden, uh, starting in, uh, I believe it was uh, toward the end of September uh, of 1963, uh, he was everywhere. You know, he was all over uh, Dallas. Uh, uh, he was in different parts of Texas. He was in Mexico City and so on and so forth. And I thought, this is impossible. And uh, so th- this is where I got started with uh, uh, saying, you know, there, there's something wrong here. And uh, a lot of people uh, have uh, speculated on this, but very few people, uh, and in fact, the only one I know about is uh, uh, John Armstrong, who have said that there were, there were actually uh, two people specifically with the name Lee Harvey Oswald, and that uh, the uh, the person who Jack Ruby killed was not Lee Harvey Oswald. He was a uh, intelligence agent who was uh, uh, recruited and uh, trained uh, by uh, the CIA and the Office of uh, Naval Intelligence, and he was also uh, a, an informer for the FBI. Okay, let um, me uh, if I could just jump in and and uh, let me just go back a little ways. Uh, yeah, and because one of the things that you you, uh, you you illustrate in the book Doppelganger is from the very beginning, uh, the CIA's fingerprints were all over this. So let's just go back uh, to New Orleans and uh, where a young Lee Harvey Oswald is is uh, sort of handed over to his uncle and aunt. You mentioned Robert and and John were uh, living in New York. And uh, Lee was living, Lee Harvey Oswald, uh, was living at his, uh, his mother's sister and brother-in-law's place. And uh, just talk to me about the connection between his, first of all, his, uh, his uncle, uh, um, a uh, Charles uh, Moret, and, yeah. Mar- and the Marcello crime family. Yeah, he was, uh, uh, Charles Red. he was called Guts, D-U-T-Z, and uh, he apparently was a bookmaker, although uh, he claimed with the, uh, the Warren Commission that he was a uh, laborer on the uh, docks and uh, whatever. Anyway, he claimed he, he had nothing to do with uh, the uh, Marcello crime family, but apparently uh, he did. Uh, uh, everybody seems to have uh, said that except the Warren Commission. They accepted at face value that he had nothing to do with it. But uh, all other researchers have uh, uh, written uh, that he was uh, connected as a bookmaker. And uh, the exact relationship uh, is, is not uh, completely clear. But uh, it, it was uh, very clear that uh, he was connected with him. And uh, one of the things that I uh, ran across was that uh, Marcello would give uh, parties to his crime family. 
and uh, that uh, uh, Mrs. Oswald, uh, the real Mrs. Oswald, and uh, the real uh, Lee Oswald uh, sometimes uh, would attend these parties, and uh, Mrs. Oswald was dating two or three of Marcello's men, and uh, so there was a definite connection there. And there's also Uh, a connection with... Uh, this is quite ironic because it's quite possible while a young Lee Harvey Oswald was at one of these Marcello uh, parties, it's quite likely he crossed paths with, with, with Jack Ruby, who was also involved with the Marcello crime family as, as well as being um, an informant for, uh, for people like Richard Nixon and Lyndon Johnson. Yep, correct. And uh, I, I ran across... The fact that uh, uh, Ruby uh, left uh, Chicago, where he had been uh, born and raised and uh, had been involved with the crime family, in 1947. And uh, then uh, he opened uh, a couple of uh, nightclubs. And the only way he could have done that was to get permission for Marcello, because uh, Marcello uh, not only controlled... uh, uh, New Orleans and uh, Louisiana, but he also uh, controlled Dallas. And for anybody to do anything on the, in the crime basis, they had to get uh, permission from Marcello. And so it's uh, very likely that uh, uh, Ruby uh, was at some of these parties because apparently he, uh, he traveled uh, many times uh, from Dallas to uh, New Orleans for various things. Uh, including trying to find uh, strippers uh, for his uh, nightclub. And then he was uh, running guns, uh, I think it was in 1959, uh, through New Orleans uh, to uh, supply uh, Castro before uh, uh, Castro took power. So uh, Ruby was uh, very much uh, involved with uh, uh, Marcello. Right, and of course, Marcello was anti-Castro, as as was you know most of the mob, because they lost all their casinos in Cuba when uh, Castro right. came to power. Now, let's also talk about uh, Charles Dutz, uh, uh, his daughter, who was Lee Harvey Oswald's cousin, Marilyn, and her connections to the CIA. Yeah, this is uh, a, a very interesting, and of course, uh, we'll never know the exact uh, uh, facts, uh, one of the interesting things about uh, her, I can't think of her name offhand right now. Marilyn. But Marilyn. Marilyn. Yeah, and Marilyn was that she she uh, testified uh, at the uh, House uh, uh, Commission, and her testimony. First of all, her testimony, uh, the uh, CIA had to approve her testifying which in itself uh, will tell you that she was CIA because what would a CIA have to do with her if she was not a CIA person? But anyway, her testimony is, has been classified secret ever since. And uh, so that tells you something. So apparently there was, uh, there was a, uh, a newspaper man who uh, uh, knew a CIA agent, and the, the agent said that uh, Marilyn was uh, a CIA agent, and not only was she an agent, but that she had facilitated uh, Harvey Oswald going to uh, Russia. Now, this is, this is very curious. Uh, Marcello also was, uh, and all of the mob actually, were, were connected with uh, the CIA in trying to uh, uh, get rid of uh, Castro. But uh, this connection with the CIA and uh, Marilyn and uh, Marcello is uh, very peculiar. And I, I, I speculate that uh, Marilyn had, I can't imagine how, but uh, she had something to do with the recruiting of Harvey Oswald, the second uh, phony Lee Harvey Oswald. Uh, I can't think of uh, why else. Uh, you know, where, where, where would he have been uh, recruited? Uh, he was recruited when he was about 11 or 12 years old. And one of the things that just uh, struck me thinking about it just recently was that originally his oldest brother, John, was in the Marine Reserves for a year before he joined the Coast Guard. And then uh, John got uh, involved with uh, uh, the, the intelligence uh, uh, along the 
uh, docks of New York. Okay, so that's that's one connection. Then his uh, older brother, Robert, joined the Marines. And then Lee Oswald joined the Marines, and Harvey joined the Marines. So here are all these Marine people, and uh, that makes me think that uh, uh, Harvey Oswald must have been recruited by the Office of Naval Intelligence because of all these uh, uh, Marine people uh, in the family, although it could have been Maryland who was connected with the CIA. So there, there, are, there are two you know, uh, possibilities as to how this... Uh, a uh, child was uh, uh, recruited. Right. So uh, I just want to I just want to clarify for our listeners. So as you mentioned earlier, we're we're taught we're identifying uh, the real Lee Harvey Oswald as Lee, uh, right? Who who grew up in in um, uh, New Orleans, and Correct. and uh, then there's Harvey, who uh, yeah. is the person that was uh, shot by Jack Ruby. During the uh, the Dallas uh, prison transfer, a few days after the assassination, so Harvey was from New York, and Harvey was a year younger than Lee Harvey Oswald. Yeah, uh, I, I I concluded that uh, nobody else has uh, written that, but I concluded that because he was so so much sw- smaller. He was sixty pounds smaller than Lee Oswald, so I can't imagine that they were the same uh, same age. So your um suggesting that uh, Lee Harvey Oswald, the real Lee Harvey Oswald's older brother, John, was working with the, uh, the, 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 uh, the Coast Guard in New York, and uh, which were partnering with the ONI, the Office of Naval Intelligence. He was stationed right. there with spe- a specific task, which was find someone who looked like my, his younger brother, Lee Harvey Oswald, that they would recruit as part of this Oswald project. And they found this young Hungarian boy named Harvey, or they named him Harvey. Right. Yeah, well, see, uh, uh, John, uh, John was married to a Hungarian. I mean, what are, what are, the, what are, what are the odds of, uh, you know, uh, a kid uh, like uh, Harvey uh, having been recruited as a, uh, as a Hungarian, and then uh, uh, John Pick uh, is uh, also a Hungarian. Not, not only that, but uh, he lived... Uh, just a couple of blocks from Little Hungary in uh, Manhattan. And uh, then later, after uh, uh, Officer Tippett was uh, killed, uh, some woman uh, called uh, uh, distant relatives of uh, Tippett and uh, asked them if they were related to him. And then she said that she knew the father and uncle of uh, Harvey Oswald and that they lived in Little Hungary, and she named... uh, 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 intersection, uh, I think it was uh, 72nd Street and uh, 3rd Avenue, where uh, the, the father and uh, the uh, uncle lived. And then she also uh, mentioned a, a Hungarian named uh, uh, Emil Kardos. And uh, when I looked up the uh, uh, Census Bureau for 1940, I found that there was actually two Emil Kardosh, uh, father and son, who lived in Little Hungary. And so it's, you know, the the whole thing, it, uh, it seemed like, you know, uh, he, he, somehow Harvey came out of that Little Hungary. Uh, this, this was a section of Manhattan where uh, refugees uh, from uh, World War II uh, came uh, after the after the war, and uh, so it just it just seemed like you know there there were too many coincidences. Right. Uh, so so Marguerite brings, you know, why else would Marguerite bring uh, Lee Harvey Oswald to New York? Uh, and putting him into the school system there, if it weren't right. to start to merge these two figures into one. In other words, the real Lee Harvey Oswald is brought to New York. His uh, older brother, John, working with the ONI, uh, you know, where all these immigrants are coming through in New York. So he he spies somebody who could pass as a as uh, as his younger brother, this young Hungarian immigrant named Harvey, whose first or second language was probably Russian, because in Hungary, uh, of course, they you know they they spoke Russian there as well as Hungarian, and um, and so this is when 
when the two Oswalds, their their timelines and everything start to merge, because well, <laughs> talk to me about the differing accounts of, and certainly in terms of the 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 character and the personality of Lee Harvey Oswald versus Harvey Oswald. Right. Uh... People said that uh, the psychiatrists, social workers, uh, Marilyn uh, Moret, they all said that Harvey, of course they all called him Lee Harvey Oswald, but Harvey was a very shy, quiet, small, scrawny, thin uh, boy. Bookish? Where? Yeah. And whereas Lee, uh, a friend of uh, Margaret, said he was obnoxious, he called him a psycho uh, during his Warren uh, Commission testimony. Uh, he said Lee was always very loud, very obnoxious. Um, a couple of girls who went to uh, grammar school with Lee, the only thing they could remember about him was that he was always fighting. Now, one of the things that people don't focus enough on is, and uh, this is one of the reasons I, I included a number of photographs, is that Lee got into a fight and had one of his front teeth knocked out. And there are two photographs that I found that show his teeth. One, when he was um, in uh, 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 high school or middle school, I can't remember which, but it shows, it shows him with his tooth knocked out. There's another picture of him with his tooth knocked out uh, in the Marines that one of his Marine buddies took. And all the pictures that uh, show Harvey Oswald with uh, his mouth open, and that means meaning he's smiling, it does not show a, uh, a missing tooth and in fact, when they uh, dug up his uh, corpse uh, uh, in the 1980s, there was no missing tooth. Uh, I saw a picture of the teeth. There was no missing tooth. So you've got two different people, one with a missing tooth and one without a missing tooth. Now, let me just uh, uh, mention some of the other things when they were grown up already. Uh, Lee Oswald was 5'11", Harvey was 5'9". Lee was 165 pounds. Uh, Harvey was 132. Lee had hazel eyes. Harvey had blue eyes. All of that is uh, on the autopsy record. Um, Lee Oswald had a mastoidectomy uh, scar and a hole in his skull on the left side, and Harvey did not. It just goes on and on and on and on. Uh, Lee, wa Lee was a, a drinker. Harvey was a, a teetotaler. Uh, uh, Lee, Lee would uh, talk about his family. Harvey never talked about his family. So, I mean, all, all of it, there, there are more, even, even more uh, parallels like that, which are the exact opposite. It can't be the same person. It's impossible. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants. They all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. More of my conversation with George Schwimmer when Conspiracy Unlimited returns. Hey, it's Friday. That means a visit from the real John Constantine Christian D. Cadieux from Paranormal Contractors, a division of crime and trauma scene cleaners. Christian, welcome back. How are you, my friend? I'm doing very well, Richard. Hey, let's dip into some case files. You have a recent one in the greater Toronto area. What's happening? We have a job site that is going on right now that uh, entails a, uh, a post-mortem of I would say approximately nine weeks, nine, ten weeks. It's quite the situation. Now, when you say a, a post-mortem of nine weeks, what do you mean? The body has been decomposing or was found uh, decomposing in a, in a house? Yes, uh, that's exactly what I mean. It's what's referred to as a, as a decomposition, a post-mortem decomposition where the deceased was there for a prolonged period of time. Now, uh, with that being said, 
I mean, everything in that environment is completely destroyed is in regards to uh, odor, in regards to uh, insect infestation, contamination from bodily fluids. In this particular case, the deceased uh, had solidified as a result of the level of human fat uh, during the decomposition, had solidified right to the floor. Um, and with that being said, we, um, we have a crew uh, decontaminating and remediating the particular environment right now because it's, it's quite extensive. Everything from the HVAC system to the integrity of the physical structure, such as the floors and the walls, it's all been contaminated with uh, different type of gases and infestation. So with that being said, uh, just recently, as recent as I believe this week, uh, a few days ago, uh, in the room where the deceased was found, so I believe it's fair to say that the room where the deceased died, of course, uh, while our technicians were in that room and decontaminating all surfaces and aspects and elements within that room, the entire environment for that matter, all of a sudden, I mean, no electrical equipment on our end was on. However, the lights were flickering while we were removing the structure where part of his body was attached to at that exact same time. Wow. Yeah. And did you do a, a, a test to make sure that the, the main fuse box was operating correctly? Did you do any... A sort of verification? Well, you know what? It's, uh, it's funny that you say that because after that this situation happened, uh, they, yeah, they did in fact go around to both upstairs and downstairs throughout the home and try all the switches and make sure that there were no faulty light bulbs, that there were all the fuses were intact. The fuse box was in fact intact. We also checked the light bulb in that room and it was completely tight it wasn't loose there was no reason to believe that there's a shortage in that particular uh, in the room where the deceased was now the other funny thing is is that in another part of the home that uh, there was a radio that was on and the radio started giving incredible loud white noise salt and pepper white noise while this was happening so it's quite interesting how as we, as I previously mentioned to you in uh, in other um, in other shows, that uh, entities have an amazing ability to manipulate electronics, and this is a scientific proven fact. And this just goes to this just validates what uh, what I, I've told you before in regards to spiritual manipulation of, uh, of electronics. Fascinating case. Christian, give us a one number if people need to get a hold of you. one 724 or you can contact us at paranormalcontractors at gmail.com or one step further, you can visit us at uh, crimescenecleaners.ca. Christian, always a pleasure. We'll talk to you next Friday. Thanks a lot, Richard. Take care. Christian Dicadieu, the real John Constantine of Paranormal Contractors, a division of crime and trauma scene cleaners. Check out their YouTube channel, Paranormal Contractors, for things that go bump in the night. The truth goes through three stages. First, it is ridiculed. Then, it is violently opposed. Finally, it is accepted as self-evident. Let me just read that again. I don't know what that means. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. George Schwimmer, author of Doppelganger, The Legend of Lee Harvey Oswald is here. Let's talk about the fluency in Russian because Harvey, if he was in fact Hungarian and his perhaps his second language, which would have also you know, it had been very close to his first language. He would have probably learned Hungarian and Russian virtually at the same time uh, growing up. Um, it was apparent to some people very early on that English was not his first language. Even when he was writing as Lee Harvey Oswald, writing letters to Texas Senator John Tower, etc. Right. Uh, yeah, let me mention something. I was born in Hungary. And I came to the United States at the age of eight. At that time, I spoke 
fluent German, fluent Hungarian, and, and fluent English. So Europeans, uh, especially, you know, educate, educated uh, and uh, uh, well-to-do Europeans, uh, they taught their children more than one language. So, you know, if you, if you, were, if you were an educated person, you probably spoke two, three, four uh, languages. And so it is not at all, you know, uh, surprising, uh, particularly, you know, with the Russians being in uh, Hungary. Also, uh, I, I couldn't find uh, adequate uh, information on this, but I know that uh, Hungary, parts of Hungary were chopped off at the end of World War One, and they were incorporated into other countries, uh, other Eastern Bloc countries. So it's possible that uh, Harvey uh, uh, didn't actually come from Hungary. Uh, he could have come from one of the other countries where Hung uh, Hungarian was spoken, and of course Russian was also spoken. But the, the point I'm trying to make is, is it's not at all unusual uh, for a child to learn two or three languages uh, by the time he's eight years old. Right, but what comes out of this, the takeaway here is that uh, the real Lee Harvey Oswald uh, you know, if he picked up Russian, started to pick up Russian, let's say in the Marines or even in high school, there is no way uh, he would have been able to master that language, to speak it. People said uh, Oswald spoke Russian with without a trace of an accent or maybe a Polish accent. Uh, a slight Polish. Marina said a slight Baltic accent. Right. And, and to be able to read Russian, to read the Russian classics, uh, that he, you know, supposedly did with uh, his new friend George de Morinchild. Uh to to read Russian classics. There's no way someone could just pick up the language in high school or maybe in the Marines, as we're told Oswald did, uh, and be able to do that. Correct? It is correct. Uh, when I was in college, uh, I, I was required to take languages, and uh, later in graduate school. And so I studied French and I studied German again and I studied Spanish and I had a terrible time. I had a terrible time learning these languages. It is not easy to learn any language. And uh, Russian in particular, everybody says, is a very difficult language to learn. And the idea that, uh, first of all, the first year of um, uh, Lee Oswald or Harvey Oswald's uh, time in the Marines, you don't have time for anything. You're, you're in basic training, then you're being trained. I was in the Army. You don't have a minute to do anything uh, during the first uh, year or so that, that you're in the service. So the idea that he could have studied uh, uh, Russia during the first year is nonsense. Then, uh, then he went to uh, Japan, and uh, supposedly he was uh, learning how to speak uh, uh But uh, all of his... Uh, uh, friends and associates, other uh, young soldiers who were serving with him, do not recall him studying Japanese, uh, studying Russian in Japan. They only recall him studying uh, Russian during his third year when he was back in the United States in uh, in Santa Ana, and uh, that that's when he started. Uh, 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 talking Russian and calling people comrade and so on and so forth. So he, th there is no evidence that he had any uh, connection with learning Russian until the third year that he was in the Marines. And it's nonsense to say that he uh, learned to speak fluent Russian. And all, all uh, uh, George de Montesquieu and the other white Russians in Dallas all reported that he spoke extraordinary fluent Russian. It's impossible that he learned it in the Marines. Now, which Oswald, the, the real Lee Harvey Oswald or the New York Harvey Oswald, went to the uh, Atsugi Air Force Base, the radar station? Lee, Lee went, to, Lee went to, to Japan. Now, there's a very peculiar uh, thing involved, which I only uh, got from... Uh, uh, John uh, Armstrong's book. Apparently, uh, this was based on uh, some uh, witness accounts and also some pay stubs that apparently Harvey, during what should have been his second year in the Marines, was not in the Marines. He was in New Orleans working for a uh, company that made, I think, uh, dental uh, 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 
dental material. And uh, while uh, at the same time that uh, Lee was in Japan, now the only thing I could figure out why he was uh, taken out of the Marines after his first year was that they didn't want to take a chance uh, that, uh, you know, somebody would uh, meet uh, both Harvey Oswalds and the Marines because they were moved around a great deal. That's the only thing I could figure out because there's nothing else uh, to indicate why he was out of the Marines. But apparently uh, at, toward the, the uh, latter part of uh, his second year, uh, he was uh, uh, brought back into the Marines and then Lee disappeared, and uh, Harvey took his place uh, when uh, Lee supposedly came back to the United States. Now, the only thing I could figure out as to what happened to Lee the last year that he was in the Marines was he was sent to study Spanish because later on, uh, people reported that he was fluent in Spanish. So where the heck did Lee get uh, his knowledge of uh, speaking fluent Spanish? And the only thing I could figure out was that when Harvey took his place uh, in uh, 1959, uh, uh, Lee went uh, to this uh, uh, school in uh, Monterey uh, in California and uh, studied uh, Spanish. There was a, a comment made uh, in the, the Warren Commission that somebody uh, in the Warren Commission said, we're checking to find out uh, what Lee Harvey Oswald was doing at the Monterey School of Languages. So, and then that, that comment just sort of disappeared into the thin air. So apparently there's some indication that uh, uh, someone named Lee Harvey Oswald was at the uh, Monterey School of Languages. Right. And so Lee Harvey Oswald, again, this obnoxious drinker, brawler, uh, right. That we know he was. I mean, his uh, he gets uh, basically drummed out of uh, the Marines, doesn't he? Because doesn't he get court-martialed a couple of times and he uh, he assaults? No, a, a, that was no that 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 was phony. All of that was phony. Ah, uh, uh, he was in, he was in Japan, and uh, they were setting up this bad boy image for Lee Harvey Oswald. Uh, in preparation for him going to Russia. And so uh, Lee Oswald, uh, would, uh, he had one incident where he uh, uh, threw a drink on his sergeant. Uh, I, was, I was in the military, you know, that, that sounds very unlikely to me, you know, uh, a recruit throw, uh, throwing a drink at their sergeant. Uh, anyway, uh, then, then, then he uh, supposedly shot himself in his uh, left arm with a derringer, and uh, some of his uh, bunkmates uh, said they weren't sure that he actually was shot, but he claimed he was shot. Uh, and then, uh, this, is, this is really a strange, uh, uh, Lee went to uh, a uh, nightclub in, uh, in Japan called uh, the Queen Bee, and uh, they said that uh, it was not unusual for someone to uh, spend a hundred dollars a night at that nightclub because of the bar girls and so on. And Lee apparently got into a relationship with this girl, and he would see her at this bar all the time. Where did he get his money from? He he made less than a hundred dollars a month. Right. How could he? How how could he go and uh, spend a hundred dollars? You know, on a one night uh, at a at a at a, a nightclub. So this whole. Uh, a series of uh, situations with uh, Lee Oswald. He got gonorrhea, by the way, uh, with uh, work, uh, working with this girl. And uh, so they were setting up an image of Lee Harvey Oswald, that he was a troublemaker, and uh, that would give him the background so that the Russians would believe that, uh, you know, he was a real... Uh, a real deal, you know, a real defector. Right. And meanwhile, uh, back in Washington, under the, um, uh, I guess, was he the deputy director of the CIA, Alan uh, Dulles? Uh, they had this, and and uh, Jesus James, or James Jesus Angleton, uh, had this uh, program to send fake defectors into Russia as spies. 
the, the program was actually set up by the Office of Naval Intelligence. They dreamed it up. But once the person got to Russia, the CIA took over and ran him in Russia. And uh, that's the way how that worked. And so it's Harvey Oswald, then the descent to, uh, to Moscow and later is uh, sent to Minsk. And then the real Lee right. Harvey Oswald sort of disappears, as you point out in the book, into the murky world of the CIA undercover. Right. He apparently, Lee apparently was uh, working with the uh, anti-Castro Cubans. And uh, there was one uh, incident uh, where uh, he uh, went and uh, wanted to get a uh, price quote for getting uh, several Jeeps. And his name was written down, just Oswald, no, no other name, but the, uh, Oswald was written down on, on the slip of paper on which they uh, gave him a quote. And he apparently was working uh, to uh, help get supplies uh, to Castro. And uh, uh, apparently he was involved with Ruby, and Ruby was also helping to get, um, uh, was running guns uh, to uh, uh, Cuba, uh, first for Castro and then for the anti-Castro people. So there was a connection between Lee Oswald and Jack Ruby, which uh, is not, you know, people uh, tend to, uh, uh, the, you know, the Warren Commission dismissed it, but uh, there apparently was some connection uh, between them at that time. And then later in the summer of 1963, there were at least a dozen people who identified, quote, Lee Harvey Oswald in Jack Ruby's uh, nightclub, uh, the carousel. And so uh, Lee Oswald and Jack Ruby had some kind of a relationship for years. In fact, you point out in the book that they were seen together in Cuba on a number of occasions. Uh, I don't know. I don't remember if they were seen together, uh, but... Uh, um, what I what I mentioned was that uh, the FBI reported that they had interviewed quote Lee Harvey Oswald on his return from Cuba, and then that statement uh, the FBI then uh, later on uh, uh, denied they had ever made that statement. But uh, apparently uh, Lee uh, went to uh, Cuba by himself as well, and uh, considering the relationship between them over those uh, uh, from uh, 1959 to 1963, you can probably conclude that they had been there together, you know, uh, one or two times or whoever knows how how many many times. So back to Harvey Oswald, the doppelganger who is, um, uh, who defects to the Soviet Union. uh, And of course, the Soviets suspect immediately that he's, you know, he's probably a spy. So they send him to Minsk where he ends right. up working in a factory and coincidentally right. meets Marina, who is the daughter of, wasn't a KGB uh, officer or official, but something like the KGB. MVD. MVD, MVD. right. And, and then, then the two of them uh, decide that they're going to come back to America. What, did, As you point out, how ridiculous it is to, to imagine that the Soviets would allow the daughter of an MVD official uh, to to leave the Soviet a, to leave the Soviet a, Union. That was his niece, not his daughter. I'm sorry, his niece. Yeah. Well, not only that, but they got married six weeks after he he met her. Uh, the, uh, some people have speculated, but there's absolutely no evidence. Uh, uh, so you know, it's just a speculation. But they speculate speculate that the Marina was trained as a spy. And uh, because apparently this kind of thing happened uh, several times uh, during that time period, that uh, a foreigner would come uh, to Russia and uh, marry some uh, young woman, and then she would uh, go with him to the country, uh, whether it was the United States or some other country, and uh, then she would divorce him. And so now you have a, a person who can act as a spy in the country. That's all speculation. Right, right. And of course, uh, the, the Oswalds come back to America. 
they, they, uh, they're, a, they're actually given a loan, I think, by the State Department to come to America, which is kind of odd. Here we have a, uh, a defector coming back to America, uh, married to the niece of an of a, uh, MDV uh, official. All very strange. And they don't even debrief him or interview him or meet him at the airport when he lands. Yeah, well, so, uh, this is what they claim. But uh, apparently uh, he was uh, debriefed. And uh, the, fi- <clears throat> the final debriefing, uh, in all likelihood, was uh, George uh, Morenschild because he himself had been uh, uh, living in, uh, I don't know if he was born in Minsk, but his family had uh, uh, lived in Minsk. And uh, he spoke uh, fluent uh, Russian. But, uh, yeah, you know, it's, it's nonsense that he wasn't uh, debriefed. And what would a, a very wealthy, uh, cultured, sophisticated member of the white Russian white Russian community uh, yeah. want with uh, an Oswald and and uh, you know uh, his new his new bride? Why would they strike up a friendship? That just seems so odd. It, it is it is totally nonsense. Uh, and and uh, George went to see. Uh, 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 Harvey Oswald. Well, uh, uh, the record says that uh, uh, George said that uh, uh, he was told by a friend of his, I can't remember his name, uh, who was in the intelligence service, I can't remember if it was CIA or not, uh, that uh, there was a young uh, man who had just been in Russia uh, coming to Dallas, and he was asked by this intelligence individual to look him up. But uh, as you say, uh, you know, the incongruity between George and uh, Harvey is just uh, huge. Uh, it doesn't make any sense. Uh, I, I, I believe and I think most people believe that uh, George was a, a CIA babysitter for uh, uh, Harvey when he came back. And then uh, he was replaced by uh, Ruth Payne. Uh, who became the babysitter primarily for uh, Marina. Uh, Marina, Os- right. Marina Oswald. And uh, Ruth Payne, uh, CIA uh, connections, and her husband, Michael Payne, who worked at Bell Helicopter, which was, uh, I mean, I don't want to go too far afield a here, but it, it bears w- worth repeating. I've mentioned it many times on the air that uh, Bell Helicopter uh, was being run by a former Nazi who escaped the hangman's noose at Nuremberg, Walter Dornberger. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, Ruth also is uh, suspected of uh, having worked for the CIA in the South America, and her, I believe, her father, and uh, I think it was her brother, uh, worked for AID which was a CIA front uh, organization. So uh, there is a CIA connections all over the place with the uh, uh, Payne family. At what point did Harvey Oswald uh, realize that he was uh, being set up as a patsy for this uh, JFK hit? I think, I think it started when uh, with... Uh, Dr. Ochner, I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right or not, uh, got angry at uh, uh, Harvey's uh, lover. uh, And uh, he and uh, uh, Judith uh, Very Baker felt a great deal of uh, danger from Ochner. And uh, then uh, Harvey was sent to meet uh, a uh, anti-Castro uh, leader in Dallas, and he met this leader along with his CIA control, and uh, Harvey felt very, very bad vibes from that uh, meeting. And then uh, later, he apparently, and there really is no evidence, and of course, how could you get the evidence, there, but apparently he was pulled into the um, the conspiracy 
uh, and made to believe that he was going to be part of it in order to set him up as a, uh, a patsy. And uh, then uh, on the Wednesday before the assassination, he had a phone call with uh, uh, Judith Barry Baker, and he said he expected to be killed on Friday. So uh, he, uh, I would say that uh, this, uh, he started uh, suspecting something was uh, fishy uh, probably uh, around August or thereabout. Oh, there's one other thing I want to mention with that, um, and that is uh, – uh, what is this guy's name? I can't think of his name now. Uh, the Man Who Knew Too Much. You know that book? Oh, yes, yes. Um... I forget the guy's name. But anyway, uh, this guy was a double agent. He was a CIA agent, and he was a KGB agent. And he infiltrated the New Orleans group. And he told he told Harvey that he was being set up. Hmm. You mentioned... So, uh, so Harvey, Hart, uh, so Harvey knew within about you know a three month, three four month period that uh, something was uh, uh, wrong uh, with what uh, was going on. Uh, and just just to um, tie up a f- some threads there, you mentioned Judith Very Baker, who of course you know within the last ten years has written a a book how she. Uh, was Lee Harvey, well, she believed him to be, I assume, the real Lee Harvey Oswald, his lover. They met in New Orleans at a post office. Uh, They were later working together on yet another project, and this was uh, also included uh, David Ferry. Uh, Yeah, right. They were to create, and and of course, Dr. Mary Sherman, um, they were creating a fast-acting cancer agent that they were going to use on Fidel Castro. Uh, right. And Oswald was to uh, to go to Cuba and deliver this. Uh, right. So that's how Doctor or that's how Judy Very Baker got involved with with Lee Harvey Oswald. Did she believe? Well, she she did believe him to be the real Lee Harvey Oswald, or did she know that he was a doppelganger? Well, I'll tell you, I I thought she did for a long time, and then uh, about a year ago, I decided to reread her book to see if I may, I might have missed anything. You know, sometimes you miss details. And in the notes of the book, she mentions, first of all, that he used phony names. And she asked him, are you using one now? And he said, yes. And then on on the Wednesday phone call, when uh, uh, they said goodbye, she said in a note, that she called him by his real name. Now, what does that mean? Hmm. Do you do you know? Do you have any idea? Well, you. I think you alluded to it earlier uh, when we were talking about the the Hungarian immigrants in in New York in Little Hungary. Do we know yeah. what Harvey Harvey Oswald's real name was? That is a sixty four dollar question. And I want to find that out before I die. <laughs> <laughs> um, I am waiting for the uh, 1950 census to be released. It won't be released until 2022. And uh, I'm going to research that and look for Hungarian names uh, in the area of uh, Little Hungary and specifically uh, the area of uh Seventy uh, Second Street and Third uh, Avenue, and I am hoping that uh, maybe I can find a clue uh, in the uh, the census uh, report. But otherwise, I tell you, I, I wish I had a million dollars because I guarantee you I'd find his name. Uh, just you know, go go down to a Little Hungary and just offer a reward for a hundred thousand dollars. And I bet you dollars to dollars, somebody knows their name. <laughs> and what of the the real Lee Harvey Oswald, who sort of disappeared into the CIA underworld in 1959? Whatever happened to him? Well, he worked. He worked with the anti-Castro uh, uh, people, and uh, there was a, a whole book written about this that uh, he apparently flew out of Dallas after the assassination and that he landed, I believe, uh, 
uh, what's the town in New Mexico uh, where they have the the flying saucers and everything. Anyway, Roswell. He, he, he Roswell. Went, right, yeah, but he landed in uh, Roswell uh, after having flown there on the C-54 and was never seen again. I, I believe he was uh, killed uh, within a day or two after the assassination because there's absolutely nothing and there's not a scintilla of evidence uh, to uh, uh, pinpoint uh, his existence after that, uh, that day. Well, George, it's an absolutely riveting read. Doppelganger, the legend of Lee Harvey Oswald. Uh, and, uh, you know, obviously we just touched on some of the high points. There's a lot more to this book, including some amazing photographs where they, people can compare and note the differences uh, between uh, the, the the real Lee Harvey Oswald and Harvey Oswald, the doppelganger. Uh, right. you know, Lee Harvey Oswald has a, a very broad neck. He was stocky. Um, he did not have a cleft chin. Uh, as you say, he was missing right. a tooth, etc., etc. It's all there. How can people get a copy of the book? It is available on Amazon. You can get it either as a Kindle ebook or as a paperback. Terrific. Thank you so much. You bet. Okay, before I dim the lights in my little studio beneath the stairs... I'll be back with a few words about an upcoming episode. My Strange Planet shop is filled to the rafters and bursting with great gear. Check out the Toxic Mail and the Protect Our Power Grid t-shirts. My personal favorite right now, though, is my line of t-shirts celebrating carbon dioxide, the miracle molecule that makes life possible on our planet. But there's more than just t-shirts. There's mugs, phone cases, great hoodies and sweatshirts, tote bags, stickers, and more. The proceeds from the Strange Planet shop goes to support the work I do here. They help make this podcast, Conspiracy Unlimited, and my weekly radio program, The Conspiracy Show, all possible. So, get on up to my Strange Planet shop today. Just go to strangeplanet.ca. Remember, Christmas is coming. It's a strange planet. Get the gear. Coming up next on Conspiracy Unlimited, author-researcher Bill Burns on Edison and Tesla and their pursuit to develop a telephone that could call the other side. And Edison saw that market, the market of the bereaved, and he thought, gee, if all this talk about quantum mechanics, if that's true, then maybe these life units that make up human consciousness could be contacted after death. You don't need a Ouija board, you don't need tea leaves, you need a scientific device. And that scientific device is a pencil-thin, narrow light beam. And if I can just induce the consciousness of a recently deceased person to cross that light beam, that'll register on a meter. And if it registers on a light meter, I'll know that there is consciousness after death. Until then, I'm Richard Serrett. So long for now. A new Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett drops every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at ConspiracyUnlimitedPodcast.com. Blow your mind. That is all for now. Oh, and remember to share and give a five-star review because we have huge egos and need love. We're like cats. We need... We need constant petting.